This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. UFOs, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of the best when things are worst. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Famergus. And I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making Veritas possible. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to both segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. You'll receive your login immediately. And don't forget to purchase MMS right from us. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And it's so inexpensive. You'd be glad you did. And Season 4 of our futuristic metal-cased USB drive is now available, along with all other seasons. Again, just go to the Veritas store. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Tonight's special guest is another luminary I met at the gathering I recently attended in Philadelphia. Many of you know who she is. I'm referring to nuclear physicist, engineer, and author, Dr. Elizabeth Rauscher. Let's see where our conversation will take us. Dr. Elizabeth Rauscher has a doctorate degree in nuclear physics and engineering from the University of California at Berkeley. Dr. Rauscher was a nuclear scientist and researcher at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory and at Stanford Research Institute, SRI, 
was a professor of physics at John F. Kennedy University of California and a research consultant to NASA for the Space Shuttle Program and the U.S. Navy. In the 1970s, Dr. Rauscher had a Q security clearance when she worked with physicist Edward Teller, father of the hydrogen bomb. She never wanted to work on weapons, and the work with Teller involved the cosmos. She turned down offers to work on Star Wars, and today she works on medical devices using electromagnetic radiation, EMR, to enhance health. Dr. Rauscher has been a delegate to the United Nations and a research consultant to NASA, a staff researcher at Stanford Research Institute, SRI International, and held a Stanford University grant. She has conducted extensive consulting research and invited to lecture in the USA, England, Europe, Japan, Korea, India, Africa, South America, Canada, Mexico, and Bermuda. And she has published over 275 papers and six books. And directly from Apache Junction, Arizona, not too far away from my location, for the first time on Veritas, I am honored to welcome Dr. Elizabeth Rauscher. Hello, Dr. Rauscher, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Fine. Excellent. Thank you very much. What a privilege to have you on. And just to, to let the audience know, in the past couple of weeks, we've introduced some new new luminaries, if you will, to our, our worldwide audience. I was a, at a Philadelphia gathering a few weeks ago, and I had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Rauscher in person, although I've heard about her before. And I have to tell you this. I read this from one of the people, Dr. Rauscher, that attended one of your, your sessions a few years ago. She said, quote, I met and attended sessions at an international remote viewing conference in Las Vegas with Dr. Rauscher. I was and I'm still in awe of feeling like I was in the presence of the smartest woman on the planet, a female Albert Einstein, if you will. What do you think about that, Dr. Rauscher? I feel very complimented. And actually, I had two idols in high school. One was Albert Einstein, and I had a crush on Paul Newman. <laughs> but it was Albert Einstein that I think I was much more influenced by. Well, let me ask you. Your bio, as I was telling you offline, it's pages and pages long. I just uh, summarized as much as I could, but it reads like an encyclopedia. I'm interested in knowing from childhood, how does somebody like you develop the interest in so, so many of the areas that you have researched? Well, I remember when I was about four years old, and as they say, a kid's outdoors watching the grass grow, and I thought, I'm not satisfied with my life because I didn't, my parents and I didn't see eye to eye on many issues. Let's put it that way. And I, I decided that I would try to figure out what the nature of reality was. And then I remember watching my mom. My mom and dad were very authoritarian and um, they were right. And if I even agreed with them, I was still wrong. And I watched her iron, and I was looking up, you know, I um, um, was short enough that I was still, uh, I looked up at her, and I thought, do you automatically learn stuff, or do you have to study really hard? And then I thought, well, I better study really hard just in case. And then I had another influence. My mom uh, probably couldn't get a babysitter, and I went with her. And my dad to this very wealthy person's house that had all these international knickknacks from all their trips, and they talked about really interesting things. 
And a woman, I was about seven, and a woman handed me a book with a blue cover called Man's Right to Knowledge. And that was very influential. I thought, that's right. You know, and I, I saw the picture of a lifestyle that had a little fake stream in the backyard and everything, and I thought, that's a lifestyle with all the books around and my folks had a lot of books and magazines around, but that's what I aspire to. And that somehow maybe I'll understand absolute truth or some relative truth or some form of truth. So I, I and then I heard about time machines. There was when I was about eight I was listening to Radio Mystery Theater and there was this guy that wanted to invent a time machine because he almost ran over Hitler when the story almost ran over Hitler when Hitler was a uh, when he when Hitler was about five years old. So he wanted to go back in time and run over Hitler <laughs> and prevent all that horrible disaster. So that intrigued me the idea of going back in time and changing history. And then I met um, my my sister's first husband was a math grad student at Berkeley, math and physics. So uh, he handed me a book by Dover on Einstein, Minkowski, Lorentz, and um, the whole basis of relativity. So although I couldn't read differential equations, I could read the words and the content. So I um, really studied relativity to see whether you could make a backwards time machine. And I'm still working on concepts about that and having fun about it. Do you think it's possible to time travel? I think there's mental time travel. There's precognition to the future, and there's probably retrocognition where these people have been looking for archaeological sites. And... um, trying to use remote viewers to do that. I do think also, like, why would I want to be an inventor? Because when I heard about Tesla from my brother-in-law, my, uh, my sister's first husband, I thought, well, I want, to, I want to be an inventor, and I also wanted to invent energy systems because I knew there would be wars over oil in the Middle East. Oil was a finite resource. And that's one of the reasons I studied nuclear physics, although I don't think that's the answer. Reactors are not the answer because of the waste problem and accidents and so forth. Although more people are killed in coal mines, it's still a problem. So I thought we need some kind of renewable energy source. And so I've been on that track and uh, started the International Tesla Society and when I decided to invent things, I started collecting stuff because I said, you got to have stuff to invent with. So I got old radio tubes, and I aspired to try to build an oscilloscope. I built six telescopes from 9 to 13. Some I took apart and built the other better ones. And the eight, at the age of nine? Yeah, I, I, when I, my folks were very social, so they'd go out in the evening and leave me alone to do my research. Uh-huh. And I don't know how I figured out how to... Uh, I knew how to um, take a light filament to figure out the focal length of the lenses, and my mom was getting camera equipment from Edmund Scientific, so I'd tape on a bunch of quarters and get a whole bunch of assorted lenses from Edmund Scientific. 
and I, I wrote a note with the taped-on quarters for the lenses and said, you know, like I was a big research institute, except my handwriting was that of a child. <laughs> <laughs> they must have had a laugh. But then I found a nice long uh, focal length lens for my objective, and I still have that one telescope. What moved you to build the telescopes, almost like Galileo? Well, several things. One is I met an astronomer when I was eight, and the guy was talking about, like, Carl Sagan, all the billions and billions of this, that, and the other thing. And I lived in a country where you really could see the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And it was just beautiful. I mean, I was very intrigued. And so, and also I was nearsighted, and I had told my folks I could, I said I couldn't see that. I had trouble reading because I was dyslexic and nearsighted. And I, when they held the book out, I couldn't see it. So part of it might have been because I was nearsighted. But mostly it was my interest in the universe. And I thought at 15 that one should take responsibility for everything in the universe on their shoulders to make the universe and the world and everything a better place. And I'm young now, I'm sort of childlike, but at 15, I was very old. <laughs> I understand. And I felt old. Your level of maturity back then, and, and as, as you say, Carl Sagan and the others were talking about the billions of stars, which uh, if, you, if you use math, that's trillions probably of planets. Why do we keep saying that we are alone? Isn't that the height of arrogance? I think it's absolutely the height of arrogance. I grew up in the country, and I've talked to many plants and animals, and they've talked to me. I feel I grew up on Witten Indian land, and I feel more like the philosophy of indigenous people, that everything is alive and conscious and has its rights and identity. And to try to dominate nature, which is the Western European and American way, is wrong because you're going to destroy yourself. You have to live in harmony with nature. I mean, that's the height of arrogance. And to say that we're alone in the universe was to give status to really the church and the power structures of the Middle Ages. And um, also, it's really lonely to be alone. So I think it'd be better to... But I don't know, you know, if the ETs come... Uh, my son and I were camping out where I used to live in the country, and, and so we were looking at the satellites going overhead. And he was about 14, and he said, we started talking about UFOs, and, and I noticed he pushed his sleeping bag closer to me. <laughs> and, he, and I said, well, look, am I going to beat him up if they attack? <laughs> He said, no, you might be able to talk to him better than me. <laughs> you know, you said something important about the, the, the church and, and maybe even science. I will explore that in, in, in a minute. Oh, it's got its religious aspects, too. It's got its uh, priesthood and, you know, the whole thing is these institutions, particularly academia and the church, you know, you go through all these levels and the military, too. I mean, it's very stratified. And it's very sim solibim to the leaders. But it seems 
Dr. Rausha, that we have two two areas. We have religion for what science cannot answer, and for what we can answer, then we have science. And it's almost as that when people want to stop to shop for questions, almost as, as a religion. Is this the right way to look at science, almost like a religion? Well, it actually has a methodology, and if it's applied correctly, it should be objective. Like, there's several discoveries I made in my life that changed my personal philosophy, and one was psychic phenomena. Although I had some unusual experiences as a child, I objectively, scientifically did not believe in it until I did a whole bunch of experiments. But a true scientist changes their philosophy, you might say their religion, to uh, match the data. The data is more important. The facts are more important than what you believe them to be. That's a non-religion. That is using information to decide what's meaningful and real as opposed to what isn't. Whereas a religion says, you believe or else. And that's what our educational system says. Shut up and believe the teacher. It doesn't allow for individuals to think and be their own human beings. And that's the key, is the freedom to think. The freedom to search for truth and knowledge and meaning within their own lives. And that's uh, that's sort of the whole structure of the society, including religion, and also science. Although it has a methodology, sometimes I've seen situations that were unconscionable, like um, a very good physicist I know from England, and, uh, you know, there's this Los Alamos X-Files, so it's sort of like the in-group and the out-group. You can publish in the X-Files if you're one of the buddy cats. Well, for some reason, somebody got ticked off. This guy had been publishing papers in the X-Files for years, and all of a sudden they exclude him from the club and reject all his papers because somebody got ticked about him. Now, that's a religion. And you said something important about the Native Americans and the fact that they were in touch with, with the planet, which to me, in the last 100 years, we've done more to destroy the planet than for the last thousands of years. But one thing that comes to mind is the word civilization. Many people think that that's a positive word, but it, the subversion of truth is the foundation of our quote-unquote civilization. Almost like truth these days, Dr. Rauscher, has become the new hate speech and this happens in academia this happens i mean if you if you go out on a sunny day and point up in the air and say the sky's blue somebody's bound to try to shoot you (laughs) i mean i'm surprised i mean i i've given talks where people were yelling and screaming at me and i've had my life threatened based on what i said and i thought my god I mean, I, there's a lot of things I don't believe, but I don't go around telling those people not to talk about what they think. I'm surprised at the power of the word. I'm surprised at the fear. I'm surprised at the control mechanisms. It astounds me. And civilization is a very thin facade. I mean, if the power, uh, power goes out, of course, we're on three wells in Apache Junction, which is outside of Phoenix. Um, we wouldn't have any water because it wouldn't be pumped by electrical, mechanical pumps. Right. You couldn't get any fuel uh, for your car because so, it's pumped out electrically. 
You couldn't get to the grocery store to get groceries. Um, your refrigerator wouldn't refrigerate anymore. And so there's these doomsdayers that are sitting around with all their guns. Now, that probably wouldn't be practical either. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.